0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney.
2: Welcome back, hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132. We are featuring a series this month called 2019, A Look Ahead. Today, we're focusing on retail. The big story as we start the year is the demise of Sears. The 126-year-old company has rejected a final bid by Chairman Eddie Lampert, who hoped to save the company. Sears was one of 13 retail companies to file for bankruptcy protection in 2018. Those include Brookstone, David's Bridal, Mattress Firm, Nine West, and Rockport, some of whom may be able to reorganize to stay into business. Consumers have been spending more money, but as e-commerce giants like Amazon are taking a larger share of that, brick-and-mortar stores need to find better ways to compete. So are there lessons to be learned from those who have been successful and those like Sears who have not? With more on the year ahead in retail, we're joined here in studio by Barbara Kahn, professor of marketing here at the Wharton School, and joining us on the phone, Mark Cohen, director of retail studies at Columbia University's Graduate School of Business and a former CEO of Sears Canada, Lazarus Department Stores, and Bradley's Incorporated. Barbara, Happy New Year to you. Good to see you.
1: Yeah, Happy New Year. Great to be here.
2: Thank you, Mark. Great to talk to you again. Happy New Year. Well, Mark, we've known this has kind of been coming for a while, but give us your reaction to the news today uh, about Sears uh, looking like it's headed to liquidation.
0: Uh, Well, you've heard me say on this program and certainly uh, on other programs that the die was cast on this miserable outcome. Actually, uh, in 2000, um, this has been a long time coming. This is, a, this is a terrible saga of greed, avarice, incompetence, and stupidity. Uh, it started when a CEO named Alan Lacey was given the seat, who had no idea how to run the business, and he bumbled for about four or five years. He did a real estate deal with Lampert, who had taken Kmart out of bankruptcy, which gave Lampert enormous Um, currency in stock price and in cash. And what did he do? He turned around and he bought Sears Roebuck. And Sears Roebuck's uh, more or less feckless board, probably more out of desperation than anything else, turned the company over to him. And what has Lampert done? Well, Lampert's made all sorts of manifestations of running the business in his way, in an unusual way, because he knows better. Uh, He's either either, uh, proof positive that just having a lot of money doesn't mean you have any brains, right. or he has all along had the view that he was going to strip this thing for his own benefit. Uh, at the end of the day, he lost control of the business this past fall and creditors appear to be completely unwilling to go along with this scheme that he's proffered using uh, a credit bid in part to take some uh, remaining portion of the company out of 11 uh, because they know at the end of the day, at long last, that this company and Eddie Lampert have no viable strategy. There's no leadership in the company. There's no strategy uh, in place that demonstrates any viability for the future. And so the sad news, which is certainly to me not a surprise, is that this uh, incredible American, if not international, icon is about to disappear.
2: When you see this last-ditch effort uh, by Lampert to bring this money forward, it sounds like you believe that the creditors actually did a very good thing by not uh, agreeing to take his offer.
0: Well, you know, his offer all had always had language, or his offers all had language. Um, which more or less went along the lines of, we're looking to save the jobs of 68,000 or 50,000 associates, as if Eddie Lampert has ever cared about associates uh, or anyone but himself. The fact of the matter is that the company's problem is not its debt. The company doesn't have an operating strategy. And so remediate the balance sheet through the bankruptcy proceedings, which is what he had intended to do, uh, does nothing for the underlying uh, tragedy, which has been going on here for a very long time. This company has been operating on fumes. It's lost its connection with millions and millions of devoted customers. It's lost the support of the market. You know, its biggest vendor at one point was Whirlpool, yeah. which manufactured Kenmore. And a couple of years ago, Whirlpool took their marbles and went home. You know? yeah. They said, we're not doing business with you anymore. So, so, you know, th- th- this is a sad day if, in fact, the bankruptcy judge approves a liquidation uh, plan. Uh, even if he somehow does not, this company is going to liquidate at some point uh, very soon.
2: All right. So, a- as we move ahead and looking into 2019, Barbara, we, and playing off of that news, we've seen about 40 bankruptcies in the retail sector in the last two years. I mentioned 13 here yesterday. Do you think we're going to continue to head down this road in, in 2019?
1: I think what you're seeing is that the people who get it are going to win and the people who don't get it are going to lose. Uh, you see this over and over again. And going back to the Sears story, you know, it is a sad story because if you had inspired leaders, Sears had an incredible legacy yeah. that would have given them a leg up. But they had to pay attention to to consumers, to the competition, to the changing market. You know, and it's re- it is really interesting because it's all these Sears stories Go down, and you see all this media attention to Sears. They can find tons of people who grew up on Sears and are seriously upset that Sears is out of the market. You can't buy that kind of brand loyalty and legacy. And to throw, I mean, I agree with what Mark was saying. It was Pure lack of leadership, and you know, for whatever reason, stupidity or greed, they just didn't take an amazing asset and grow with the retail world. I personally think 2019 is an exciting year okay. for smart retailers, and we're going to see some real creative stuff.
2: On what factors, on what points do you think you, you are so optimistic?
1: Well, I mean, you're seeing some really interesting ideas. You can't undermine, you know, what or uh, you know, underemphasize what Amazon is doing, and just some of the newest things they're doing every day in new stories. But, like, one of the things I think is great is the seamless payment, you know, the just walk out that you saw in the Amazon Go stores. That idea that if you do a survey of consumers and say, what do you hate about shopping? They say, I can't stand waiting in line after i bought my thing and paying for my good. Okay, let's make payment easy. You know, that's an interesting idea. Let's just make it so you buy what you want and then you just walk out of retail. Or you look at what Nordstrom's been doing, you know, and unfortunately Blake Nordstrom's met in Timely death, which was very sad because the guy was an inspired leader. No Eddie Lambert. He, you know, he yeah. was a terrific thing for Nordstrom's. But you take a company there that's always been dedicated to customer service, who's under, they live in Seattle, right there next to Amazon. They can't not see that trend coming. Yeah. And they try to do something that builds on their legacy, on their family name in the business, and do something exciting and fun. The Nordstrom local that's in California, you know, the idea of a a showroom without inventory the idea of bringing in cool brands to liven up the retail that's an exciting thing
2: and aren't they they're also i think they're doing a women's store in new york city coming right. up they coming have up brand year. new
1: it's amazing nordstrom has not been in new york before yeah. you know and people are talking about the death of retail but look at these great new beautiful stores that are opening up in in new york and i talked to my friends in new york and they're excited yeah. can't wait to go into the store so no retail is not dead Good retail is live and creative and bad retail. Rest in peace.
2: Mark, what are you looking at ahead for 2019?
0: Well, I think the um, e-commerce trend is going to continue. Uh, E-commerce is going to continue to grow at double digits. It'll vary by category, but but it's certainly something that consumers have adopted worldwide, and there's absolutely no reason in, in, in the world, in fact, why that that trend would abate. Uh, the legacy brick-and-mortar players who don't, to Barbara's point, get it, or who don't get enough of it, uh, are dead. They're going to continue to lose share uh, uh, I think that, uh, again, to Barbara's point, there's there's no weakness in retail. There's plenty of customers. There's plenty of income. The current government madness, notwithstanding yeah. and the fact that they're loading their credit cards up again, is yeah. is a sidebar issue. But the fact is, there's plenty of disposable income, and human beings have a an encoded behavior that that results in them seeking out things that are new and exciting with vigor. And they do that in a retail marketplace, whether it's a physical store or it's online or some combination of the two. So I think the business up top is fine. It's going to continue to thrive. But within the businesses, the breakage is going
2: to continue. Well, Mark, you you mentioned what's going on with the government right now. Are retailers starting to feel a little bit of the pinch from the tariffs? I think they 're
0: starting to get uh, nuts over the uncertainty of the tariffs uh, you know you you 've started to pay ten percent more for your goods that have arrived this year, and so you 're confronted with a um, uh, a pricing decision do you do you eat the increase or do you pass it along right. that 's possible at ten percent it 's not possible at twenty five percent sure yeah and so if you believe what uh, if fearless leader is saying that the trade talks are going well, then you assume that the 25% tariff that he's created will not actually take hold. If you don't believe that, uh, you're faced with an enormous existential issue of uh, price increases, which, which you know, is going to mute the business uh, and could very well trigger the early onset of a, of a recession.
2: Robert?
1: Yeah, it is interesting to see what's happening with the tariffs on China because China's market has always been on price. And when the tariffs now are making them unable to compete at that low price, yeah. that does change the dynamics of the market. But it's interesting. I just got back from Miami. And while it's not good for China and perhaps not good for Apple and maybe some of the other companies that have a big sales in, in China or whatever, it is good for other options for other opportunities. So there's been some growth in the Latin American market because they can compete now in a way they couldn't compete against China. So whenever, you know, one of the things that's cool is when you see these constraints in the market, it does hurt some people, but innovative people who respond to the challenges in the market can actually come up with some good solutions.
2: You mentioned, Barbara, a little bit ago, the Amazon Go stores. How much more? Will those expand, do you think, in, in, this year and, and the next few years?
1: I think Amazon is going to expand those. But more than just Amazon, Walmart is competing in that way. It's been that way in China for a long time. Their technology yeah. has been better than ours there. But I think once you experience that just-walk-out technology, the idea of standing in line, you're just not going to have patience for it anymore. And so there's going to be more. The technologies here can be done. Yeah. You know, there's going to be more and more pressure for retailers to compete. And one of the things I'm curious to See what Mark has to say about this, just because. (laughs) Is, you know, a lot of this, I think retailers like Walmart or Target, you know, the smart retailers, they know what it needs to compete. You know, and they see the growth in online and they see the growth in this kind of stuff. But with that becomes pressure on margins. And so while they're making these huge investments to deliver retail that consumers want, it is squeezing their margins. Um, and and the more that sales go to online, even for Amazon, they're starting to take out some of that unprofitable business. That's a right. difficult business. So I think there's one thing, recognizing consumer demand and going after what c- customers want. And there's another thing in making the bottom line work and getting the costs down.
2: Mark, your thoughts?
0: Well, let me, let me just say that I think that, that what Amazon... Go represents is, a, uh, is a, a tremendous service opportunity for Amazon, more or less along the lines of what they created through the Amazon Web Service cloud business. I don't think they're going to open thousands of Amazon Go stores. I think they're going to install Amazon Go technology in thousands of stores, okay. to Barbara's point, to get rid of the friction that exists in physical retail. So, so I think that's where Amazon is headed, and others are doing similar things, but I doubt that they're going to catch up with Amazon in that regard. With regard to uh, margin, you know, the the margin calculation is relatively simple arithmetic, and there's no doubt that there's an enormous pressure on margins as a result of everyday low pricing and deep discounting that continues. Um, And so up top, the margins are squeezed, and of course, on the expense line, it takes an enormous amount of money to invest in this migration over into Omnichannel, and so the, the, the survivors are going to be the ones who figure out how to navigate from where they've been historically to where they need to go in the future. They're going to need to operate with lower gross margins, and they're going to have to rationalize their current expense basis and keep their shareholder, if they're a public company, uh, um, uh, calm while they while they migrate from point A to point B. I think Target's going to have a lot more trouble in this regard than Walmart because Walmart's controlled by the Walton family, and uh, Target is more or less an open public company. Having said that, it's an exciting time. The consumer is the winner. The consumer is not going to yield uh, the reins here. Anytime soon, uh, people who come up with great products in a, in a really exciting setting, whether it's online or, or physically presented, are going to win. Um, the legacy players who are struggling, who don't you know, find a way out of the trap they've created for themselves, are really going to be dead. And so there's a lot more tragic outcomes. Coming uh, on the heels of what we've seen in the last few years,
2: and, and we also have obviously a lot of things. And, and Amazon kind of dips its toe into into so many areas as well. And and just actually a, something that I had seen online that uh, the vice president for Alexa says that that part of the Amazon. World is going to be investing heavier into the auto industry, which is another area for Alexa to have that connection with the consumer out in the car.
1: The auto industry is going to see incredible disruption. They are really running scared. Now, you think about a business that's had terrible customer experience and, you know, used car salesmen and going into the car dealers yeah. and all that other stuff. That was retail business bad, you know. Yeah. People were afraid to go buy a new car. Okay, that time's over. There are so much new technology in automobile, not, not just in the customer service, the Alexa, the, that kind of thing, the yeah. voiceless stuff, the driverless car, Uber. You're talking about massive in, the disruption in, in that industry. That is something that people should really be paying attention to. Mark?
0: Well, you know, the, the ubiquitous drive-time radio industry has been hanging in by its fingertips uh, people trapped in their automobiles for, you know, an hour or two, some cases three hours a day, uh, listening to the endless drone of sports scores, weather, and the scandal of the moment. Uh, now they're going to be able to, to basically recite Do their, their shopping, shopping list yeah. <laughs> while, while they're trapped in their right, vehicle. Exactly. And when they get home, it's going to be sitting there, a little, little bit of a leap of faith here, but it's, at some point going to be sitting on their doorstep or sitting in their kitchen.
1: Exactly, just like that old video. Remember the old video in the Korean subway? While you're waiting on the subway platform, you might as well do your grocery shopping.
0: Exactly, exactly. Except you'll be able to do it from uh, a seated position while you inch along the uh, whatever
2: freeway in your driverless
1: car, <laughs> which
2: but it but it also means though that on the delivery side of that, Mark, that there's going to be and some of it will be driverless, but I would think some of it, at least in the short term, will require and we've seen some uh, locations do this will require the adding of people to do the delivery right now.
0: Well, whether it's whether it's uh, actual delivery or it's in-store pickup.
1: Right, that too. Yeah, that I, I think the... that's the trend. By the way, I, another yeah. trend I think because and this gets back to that cost issue. Uh, there's just a new Amazon store that's been built in our little community here in. In Philadelphia, where I live, uh, where there's a whole lot of professionals that do a lot of online shopping, but rather than do it, doing that difficult last mile, they put in a new Amazon store so you can pick up. Yeah. Walmart's been doing a great job with that. Target's been doing a great job. So you have the convenience of shopping online. You pick up on the way home. You drive by the Walmart. You might as well pick it up curbside. Sure. If you live in the city, you pick it up at a little pickup place. I think that's going to be a trend, the buy online, pick up in the store, to kind of get rid of that... L- that margin issue.
2: Uh, Mark, one of the things we've talked with you in the past about, and I want to bring it back up, uh, are the malls. And, and obviously with Sears uh, looking like they're headed for shutting their stores down, that's another kind of franchise mall store that is going to be uh, shutting down at at some point here in the next few months. And I wanted to, again, give you a chance to give us your thoughts on what the mall is looking like moving forward, because we saw pretty good sales numbers during the holidays. But a lot of the reports said that more and more of it was done online. And I could see it when I went shopping this Christmas that I didn't see as many people in the mall the couple of weeks right before Christmas as I'm used to seeing.
0: There there are something like 1,400 malls in the United States. Most of them are enclosed, except in areas where weather permits them to be open air. Uh, About 250 of them, 230, 250, everybody's got a different number, but ballpark 230 to 250 are AAA malls or super regional malls. These are malls that have Four, five, six anchors, and their only limitation is available parking. They're typically <laughs> ring fenced by communities which won't let them grow any 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 longer. The other 1,100, which are characterized as B and C, and in some cases D level malls, which have three or two anchors, are dead, or dying, or struggling, or in danger. They've lost a Sears and will lose a Sears if they have a Sears, they are likely to lose a JCPenney. Many of them have lost a Macy's or one of the Macy's antecedents. And so their anchor tenants are either gone or going. There's a whole host of breakage in the concourses between anchors as specialty tenants have either gone bankrupt or have exercised their kickout rights because the anchor that's part of their lease agreement has gone away, and so these are becoming increasingly problematic. They're referred to by many as zombie malls because they look more dead than alive. Right. And I and I think that this 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 continual trend over to e-commerce in a whole variety of forms is going to signal an uh, the inevitable decline of the Great American Shopping Mall, with the exception of these triple A's or super regionals, who frankly are going to continue to be just fine, because they're fully tenanted, and many, many, many customers will always want to touch, feel, try, sure. and experience something physically, so they're not going to stop, uh, th- that behavior is not going to disappear. I, I think, the, sorry. You know, the, the, the developers who try to paint a r- rosy picture here are whistling in the dark, Because in most cases, the economics just doesn't support redeveloping these properties.
1: Well, one of the things I see in some of the malls that are really active is a move towards multi-use and more experiential stuff. So there's a bunch of new malls, as I said, just got back from Miami, that are really thriving because there's tons of restaurants. There's movie theaters in there. And people are willing to pay the movie theater in Miami and the new Brickell City Center Mall $25 a seat.
2: Holy cow.
1: (laughs) It's like a $100 night out at the movies. Do
2: you get your food free when you go to that mall? No, and then that's before you pay
1: for your food and your drink. So if you give people some something fun to do in the mall, there are people that are coming. You have to have this mixed use, you know, the Works are in the mall, there's a lot more new activity that's yeah. going on. People are still looking to go out and have a fun time, and the mall can be it, but it's got to change.
2: How much of a concern is showrooming still? Because that was something that was talked about a couple of years ago. People will go into a store just to see what see, it's I like, think, and then yeah. go back and buy it online.
1: I think the idea of showrooming is similar to the idea I was having, you know, buy online, pick up in the store. It's really this... Big use of Omni Channel. So use the physical space for what you need. You want to try things on. What's cool about a showroom is that you can have every size, every color in the showroom. That's what Bonobos figured out. Right. But if you don't have to worry about inventory and stocking all of them and you can then have people warehouse it or buy online, you can get the try-on experience and manage the costs in the warehouse somewhere else. So the idea of show of new store retail space that opens up that are showrooms so that you can do what you need to do physically and do what you need to do online, and you can merge that in the right way. Similarly, with this buy online, pick up in the store, that kind of idea, rethink retail, is what I think we're going to see in 2019 a lot of. Mark?
0: Um, Look, I think showrooming is uh, of appeal to many, many retailers because it, to Barbara's point, takes the inventory uh, uh, burden off their backs. Uh, I think customers, though, uh, may very well be in a showroom, try on, look and feel, but then say, I want it now, and I don't even want to wait for it in two days.
1: Yeah, but if you could get it delivered within two hours, you don't have to carry it all around the mall as you're going bowling.
0: Very true, although (laughs) I will tell you, and I don't think you would disagree, the the metrics that uh, surround that kind of very prompt response by way of delivery – is extraordinarily challenging. And so it's definitely the way the world is moving. Uh, It's definitely a trend that's going to continue to expand. But, uh, lots of folks are going to die trying to do business in this fashion. And what
2: about some of the, like the, the 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 subscription services, Mark, that you see online, where you know you can for a certain amount of money join almost like a club, and they will, you know, your your next set of clothes that you want to have for your wardrobe, they will send you that every every three months or so. How is that going to continue?
0: Well, you remember the Book of the Month Club or the Record of the Month Club. Uh yeah. subscription models are not new. They've been around for a very, very long time. They kind of come and go as they become more fashionable, and right now they are very fashionable for many customers. But I, I believe that uh, the subscription model suffers from eventual fatigue. Uh, customers who really get uh, jazzed by getting a box every couple of weeks with new things or something new to read are really excited by that until it becomes burdensome. And so what does the subscription model purveyor then have to do? They have to find new customers. And the cost of acquisition goes from zero, lots of early adopters who discover uh, through viral marketing that something like this exists, to extremely expensive um, 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 mining for customers. And so my prediction is that most of these new subscription models will have relatively short Lifetimes.
1: I, I agree with that, except for one thing that I think you didn't mention that I think is important. I've seen some articles written about Stitch Fix, where the genius of Stitch Fix is not necessarily the subscription model for all the reasons that you just said, which I completely agree with, but it's the data. And if you think of it instead as a data company, yeah. that they're really learning about what people want, and you think that the, the goal for a Stitch Fix shouldn't be to keep that box going every month, but to make four purchases a year like they used to do in department stores. Sure. Yeah. And if you get the data, you're going to maximize the, the offering to that customer so that you are more likely to get four purchases a year, which is what you expected from a department store. Yeah. So I think that's the way to think about subscriptions.
2: The other thing that, that Mark, that a lot of companies have, have already started to deal with, but it will continue, I think, in 2019 being an important area, is the protection of personal data. And, and that is something that we have seen. And, and obviously, Facebook has really been dealing with this over the last several months, but the protection of personal data is probably one of the most important things that the retail industry has to be wary of.
0: Well, we've gone from a a position of laissez-faire, which is what we're sort of trapped in today. Uh, Most consumers kind of ignore the fact that their behavior is being monetized uh, with no benefit, no direct benefit being provided to them. It's possible that the pendulum is going to swing very, very sharply over to the other side of this issue, which is very restricted or restrictive use of data. Who knows? Uh, I'll tell you what. I I think that uh, uh, Barbara's right that the data uh, with regard to behavior is extraordinarily valuable. The question is, is it valuable enough to support an operation that thrives off of uh, transactions? And I think that's an open question.
1: No, I agree with that. But that is what people are predicting, that if you can get the data, and you know what people always said, you know, it's not data. you got to turn it into information. you got to turn it into action. And if you can, in fact, do that, the combination, and I think that what's true is this artificial intelligence, machine learning, but you still need human insight. You know, you still need that little magic of the smart merchant to put all those things together. It's not just a data solution.
2: How important will the the need to want to touch and, and feel certain products, especially... When you're talking about clothing, Barbara, how much will that continue to, dr- to drive the, the consumer?
1: Oh, I mean, there are some people. I have some friends that buy 100% online and don't understand them. But most people, there is a need for the physical world. You know, it's the social yes. world, the physical world, not just touch and feel, taste and ear and, you know, that kind of stuff. So there are people, as long as we're alive human beings, I think there's going to be some, it's not going to be all virtual world.
2: Mark, your thoughts? I agree
0: completely. Uh, it puts tremendous pressure on retailers to provide a physical experience that's really upbeat and exciting and pleasant and memorable, as opposed to uh, shopping in your, you know, sort of shoddy, dirty, not quite crisp and clearly defined department store with service that's sort of more, what? you know. That more, retail's dead. Yeah. You know, you know that, that, that retail that retailers have gotten away with and still get away with at the moment is is toast. Uh, on the other hand, to Barbara's point, provide customers with an exciting experience, with an interesting place to be, and yeah. they're there.
2: Great having you both with us today. Thank you, Mark, for joining us on the phone. Appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you, Barbara. Great seeing you again. Yes. Yeah, Thank you very much. And you can also hear Barbara as part of the Marketing Matters show here on Sirius XM One Thirty Two every Wednesday night from five to seven p.m. Eastern Time.